You're listening to And welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. I'm Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And on today's episode, we're talking with Katie Zhao, the author of The Dragon Warrior and The Fallen Hero, and the upcoming How We Fall Apart. Yeah, so we had a lot of fun uh, talking to Katie about Chinese mythology, how she uh, got started with writing, and uh, just the importance of representation on the page. Yeah, it's really cool to talk to someone who's writing books, especially for younger readers, because as we've all mentioned before, these are all books and stories that we wish we had when we were growing up. And I'm not ashamed to say that I had a lot of fun reading Katie's books. Um, it's jam-packed with great Easter eggs for those of us who are familiar with Chinese mythology and folklore, as well as a lot of um, subtle nods to Asian American culture. It's really a lot of fun. And for those of you looking for things to give to the young readers in your life, this is definitely um, highly recommended from from my end. And with that said, we're going to move on to the interview. Yeah, enjoy. Hi, Katie. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're happy that you can join Hi, us today. Marvin. Congratulations <laughs> on the release of your second book, The Fallen Hero. It's the second book of your series that started with The Dragon Warrior um, that came out last month. Uh, so yeah, congratulations on that. Thank you so much. So just to start off, um, I know you're from Michigan, but did you grow up there your whole life? Yes, I grew up in Michigan. So I was born in Flint. And um, then I moved to another area in the metro Detroit area. And I grew up in Michigan. I went to school at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. So then I spent another four years of my life in Michigan. Um, And then in 2019, I actually moved to New York City for um, a little bit over a year. And then like back in the end of May, early June-ish, like when I realized this pandemic isn't going to be over anytime soon. I moved back to Michigan. So I am back home with my family. Yeah, I don't really know much about um, like the Asian American community in Michigan. I know that uh, there's a pretty good like Korean adoptee population there but like I'm not so sure about like the Asian American community there. So did you grow up around Uh, a lot of Asian Americans? So I think Southeast Michigan, which is where I live, has one of the bigger Asian populations, but like it's still absolutely nothing compared to like East Coast or West Coast. Like my school was probably five to 10% Asian, Um, but I did like grow up going to Chinese school. So that was nice. Um, And uh, I don't know about Korean adoptees, but the area where I grew up actually has a big Japanese American population. Um, so, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, it's like Detroit is like the motor city, right? So, like, I think a lot of them would, um, like, their families would come from Japan to work at, um, you know, an American automotive company for, like, maybe one to three years or something. And then it was really sad for me because I'd make friends with them and then they would move back. Um, but, yeah, that's, like, 
probably like the extent of the Asian American community um, around here. It's uh, it was a real shock for me moving to New York and just being so overwhelmed by all the Asians everywhere and like Asians who are like 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 really Americanized, but then Asians who are also like kind of fresh off the boat. Yeah, I mean, if you head to Chinatown, it's you know a totally different world. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So I heard through the grapevine that you're a pretty well known Wattpad author. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I I am guessing that you have been writing since at least high school, probably younger, right? Yeah. Oh, wait. First of all, what grapevine was this? <laughs> it was just it, it was just like floating around book blogs. So oh, yeah. I okay. Like- <laughs> Interesting. I have talked about have it. Have you dug up something dark? Before. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've talked a little bit too much about it. I like <laughs> I like to joke that like I want to like block out that part of my memory, but um no, Wattpad was like like I have my thoughts on that website, but um it was a good starting block for me to like really get used to like um getting like writing a novel length story and also like because it's so interactive. I could get like reader comments on every chapter I uploaded. Um, so that was like really encouraging. And for me, when I started writing lo- novels on Wattpad, I was in high school. So, you know, I was still just like learning how to write a novel. So like, honestly, um, other writers and readers encouragement meant the world to me back then. Um, but yeah, I have been writing for a very long time. I started out writing short stories when I was like seven or eight years old. I just remember. Um, my teacher gave all of us an assignment to write a short story. And like, I still remember that moment very vividly. I like was writing the story and I was like, this is so much fun. I don't think I've, you know, had so much fun doing anything yet before. Um, but I, obviously I was still very young, so I didn't know this is what I would want to do for the rest of my life. But then um, my teacher also like praised me and was like, oh, this is like such a great short story, which is probably what she said to everybody back then. But <laughs> I thought I was like the greatest writer ever. So <laughs> um, confidence I, is key, right? <laughs> in this industry, it really is everything, but not like being overly confident, just like, um, you know, just having enough confidence to continue like pushing through rejections and putting yourself out there, I think is definitely key. But yeah, and um, after a very long writing journey, I'm publishing novels now. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what short story got you that that key praise? I I remember um, we were doing a unit on legends and myths. Uh, I don't remember what, like, like I think it was just like a different American legends, like like Bigfoot or uh i'm blanking now but you know like the kind of story i'm talking about and i wrote about a river but i don't remember like what river now but um yeah i i just like am surprised that i like still remember that moment so vividly because it's been like many many years but i yeah i i think that was like a key moment for me as a writer i like did you uh, ever participate in NaNoWriMo? I'm asking this because November is just around the corner. I'm so glad you asked. So um, in high school, I would like say, I'm going to do NaNo and then just like 
like I wouldn't have time or I just like wouldn't finish whatever book I was working on. Um, but The Dragon Warrior was actually my Nano 2017 novel. And I ended up rewriting that very bad Nano draft like two or three times after. But it was still like like the first time I sat down and told myself, I'm going to do Nano. I'm going to write this novel that's been in my head. And like, I'm not going to like, you know, let myself slack off. Um, so that was exciting. And then How We Fall Apart, which is my young adult debut coming out um, August of next year, was my Nano 2018 novel. So I didn't do Nano in 2019 because I was all Nanoed out, but I'm <laughs> hoping to do Nano this year. We'll see, like, depending on if I have too many author responsibilities on my plate. But so far, I'm looking ahead of November and I'm like purposely not taking on like too many extra things right now to like hopefully make room in my schedule for another nano attempt. Wow. That's so all cool. All you aspiring that authors out there. This is how this is how you put in the work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's so cool that like Dragon Warrior was a nano draft because I, I feel like a lot of authors, they who do nano, their first manuscript is just utter crap and they just put it in the drawer and that's just you know, part of the writing process, you just have to like get a drawer novel out there to actually start on a real novel. So that's really interesting that uh, that Dragon Warrior was a nano project. It was total craft that first draft, but like I, I still knew I had something there. So like I had to rewrite it, but eventually I got it to be something decent, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Dragon Warrior that was your debut novel, right? Yes. Um, can you share about how it got there from a NaNoWriMo project to actually getting published? Sure. So um, it was a very long and grueling process, but it was uh, I think writing the Dragon Warrior was the first time that I wrote a novel and felt like there's something here, and I want to do whatever I can to like like keep re rewriting it until it's like something I can query because I'd written other novels before but like I'd never truly learned how to revise like I would do like you know like little lazy edits here and there like clean up the grammar or whatever but that wasn't what that's not like the level of work that it really takes to write something that I think you know is good or publishing quality at least for me because I don't like to like outline that heavily I'm I'd say I'm between like a plotter and a pantser, but leaning more toward pantser. So um, I totally pants the crap out of the Dragon Warrior in Nano 2017. Um, and I actually made my sister read the whole draft, bless her. And she came back to me and said very bluntly, like, this is very bad. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I was like so shook. I was like, okay, I can't be that bad. But then like I let her feedback like... <laughs> simmer my mind and she gave me other feedback too but um I like let it simmer my mind and then I realized oh she's right like this whole thing needs to be rewritten and then um I spent like the better part of December and January rewriting this draft and I ended up like totally overhauling it like at least one or two more times um and then after that like when I was finally like sort of happy with the draft like I started doing like little line level edits like grammar spelling all that good stuff um and then 
uh, I, oh, this was also the part of the process where I learned how to get critique partners because before when I wrote my novels, it was just like, I would just get like surface level comments from Wattpad readers. Um, and like, you know, they would just say like, this is great. Please upload the next chapter, but that's not going to help me like get the level of feedback I need to understand how to improve my story. So um, I found my critique partners on Twitter and there's still some of like my closest writer friends today. And um, we just like traded manuscripts and like there it was really their feedback that helped me reach, you know, the true heart of the Dragon Warrior and help me shape it into something that wasn't complete trash and then um starting in the beginning of january of 2020 you know no sorry 2020 2018 um i finally like felt like this book is ready to query um i think like toward the end of the month or something i started querying and um querying agents and i was very lucky that in my first round of querying, I pitched my current agent, Penny Moore. And um, I had a feeling that she would like it because like I'd been following her Twitter for a while and just like seeing the kinds of stories that she likes um, and the authors that she represents. Back then, Akemi Don Bowman was like, I think her big name author. So, um, and I loved Akemi's writing and um, was like, okay, well, she seems to like be really passionate about representing Asian authors. So I'm going to pitch her. And I did. And she loved the Dragon Warrior. And she signed me in February of 2018. And then um, Penny and I revised the Dragon Warrior for like a few weeks, I think. And then we went on sub very quickly and very quickly sold to Bloomsbury in March of that year. Um, so this was like a whirlwind for somebody who had been writing her novels with like you know, no agent or anything in sight for so long. Like this, The Dragon Warrior was not the first novel I queried. I think it was the fourth novel I queried. But like I said before, the novels that I wrote before The Dragon Warrior, I didn't know how to like really rewrite and revise yet. So they ended up going nowhere. But um, when I really put in like the work and, you know, got a lot of feedback from great writers. I was able to write something that an agent loved and then an editor loved. And so we quickly sold it. And um, now it's October 2020 and The Dragon Warrior and The Fallen Hero are both out. That's awesome. So you were doing all this while also like working, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so actually uh, in 2017, when I first got the idea for the dragon warrior and started drafting it i was in my like it, it was i guess it, it was like my fourth year of school um so i graduated technically graduated from um u of m in 2017 um after three years i graduated with an english major um but then <laughs> my parents really wanted me to do accounting <laughs> and so i did a one-year masters of accounting program um at u of m in 2018 um and so like uh it was like around that time um you know i was like about to start the program and everything where i was like really frantically writing and then i mean during that year it was like mostly my school year where i was like you know i knew i didn't want to do accounting and i knew that writing was what i wanted to do for the rest of my life so um like it was really during that grad year that i just like 
decided I was going to put in all the work that I could into this book. Um, and it was really weird because I would go to like my accounting lectures and like everyone would be like so into accounting and stuff. And I would just be like, like daydreaming and like brainstorming for my novel and then like writing it in the evenings. I just felt like I was like living two lives basically. Um, and then I actually landed a full-time job at KPMG in like right after I graduated. Um, so I realized like, you know, that summer between um, graduating and starting my full-time job that like, this is going to be my last summer where I can like finally write. And so I just like wrote a lot. Um, that was when I wrote My Young Adult. And um, uh, in 2018, when I started my full-time job, I was, you know, still doing edits for the Dragon Warrior. And I'd also like um, I was also like trying to edit How We Fall Apart, my YA. So it was just like for a while, it was just me like balancing between, you know, two different worlds almost. Uh, and then I ended up um, like leaving that job early just because it was like really toxic. And the hours were like, I mean, quite frankly, they weren't manageable. Um, like even if I didn't have a whole separate writing career, like I was in the office till midnight some days and I realized like I had sort of hit like a fork in the road. Like, yes, I could keep doing like, you know, the, the good Asian daughter thing and keep working at this like really prestigious accounting firm. Um, or I can like, you know, I, I, I like I, did, I didn't really have a choice, I felt like because I was like, well, writing is what I love and I already have book deals. <laughs> so like I just I, I don't understand why I would like you know keep forcing myself to like try to do two careers when clearly I didn't care about one of them um so I ended up leaving that job and then that was also when I decided to move to New York because I was like well I'm quitting my job so I might as well just do another crazy thing too and move to New York City <laughs> so I moved and then um I actually ended up getting a full-time job um in New York but it was like way more chill it was still in accounting um, and then I worked there for a year while like launching the Dragon Warrior and everything. Um, so that my whole debut year, I was still pretty busy. Um, but then uh, at the beginning of this year, I ended up losing that job. But it was kind of a blessing in disguise because like, you know, just a couple months later, I realized, um, you know, I kind of have to get out of the city now because we're in a pandemic. And also like, maybe this is time for me to just fully invest in my writing. So that's what I've been doing um, since then, just full time writing. Wow, that's a lot of like important life milestones. Uh, uh, like I, I'm so impressed that you were able to juggle that many responsibilities while you were writing. Um, so I really love the dedication in the Dragon Warrior. Uh, I'm going to read it for those who you know have never seen the book. For immigrants, children of immigrants, and diaspora readers everywhere. Never forget that you are the heroes and dragon warriors of your own story. And I think that's such a lovely dedication. Um, we often say on this podcast how we wish we had these books when we were younger and how being represented on page really matters and make a difference for young readers. Um, so I'm just curious, um, did writing The Dragon Warrior and Fallen Hero help you, I guess, like come to accept your identity more? Because, you know, like I said, we always wish we had these books when we were younger. This is such a lovely question. Um, yes, absolutely. I like to say that um, while I was, you know, 
writing The Dragon Warrior, not only was I discovering the heart of the story, but I was also discovering things about myself. Um, And I think any writer will tell you that when we set out to write a story, like we're trying to impart a message on the world, but also like usually we're grappling with something inside ourselves that, you know, like we want to resolve on the page. So for me, um, The Dragon Warrior really is a love letter to my childhood. It's a combination of um, Percy Jackson, which was one of my favorite childhood series, and the classic Chinese cartoon Journey to the West. Um, And those were like, you know, two wonderful, funny, like fantastical stories that I grew up with. But I never really saw like an intersection um, of those kinds of stories. And so I wanted the dragon warrior to be like that intersection and um it's also you know it's really a story about a girl who feels like she doesn't have a place in the world um and i think that's something that a lot of children of immigrants will feel because we're sort of uprooted from our home countries and i think there's part of us that's always like yearning to go back and learn more about our culture especially as we get older and realize like like there's like a sense of loss um, when you, you know, you you realize that your grasp on the language isn't as good anymore, or like maybe you never even learned the language. Um, and I've certainly felt that as I've grown older that I wish more and more that you know even though I did go to Chinese school I had like taken my class more seriously. Um, and so the Dragon Warrior is really just you know an attempt for me to like sort of bridge like the cultural gaps that were present in my childhood um and you know another thing that's present in the dragon warrior is like the settings of chinatowns so um the reason that i put those settings in there specifically was because when i was younger like my family would go on road trips a lot and we would like you know try to go to a chinatown um like we we've been to manhattan's chinatown um we've been to San Francisco's Chinatown. Uh, we've been to Chicago's Chinatown. Um, and I'm sure like there are a few more in there. Um, but you get the point. So like every new place that we would go to, we would like want to try to find a Chinatown. And so um, that was something that I wanted to be in this novel because I think Chinatowns are really special in that they fuse Chinese culture with like influences of American culture because there's like you know, we can sort of see like how they're a little bit Americanized. Um, and, you know, a lot of Chinese Americans grow up there. So I thought it'd be really cool to have a protagonist who has to go on a quest that takes her through Chinatowns. It's really, um, you know, it's a really a way of exploring, you know, identity that was a journey that I also went through when I was younger. And now that I'm older, I'm like reflecting back on that and writing a story that hopefully young diaspora readers also love to read. I really like the the premise of um, like with the Dragon War, you have like an Asian, um, a multiracial Asian girl who is the chosen one. But in The Fallen Hero, the sequel, uh, you kind of bring up the, the question of you were the chosen one, but you aren't the chosen one anymore. Uh, um, I like how... Has the definition of hero changed from book one to book two? Just out of curiosity. This is such a great question. Oh my god, all your questions are so great. Um, so in the Dragon Warrior, I wanted specifically to use the chosen one trope because um, yes, it's a trope, but it's like a trope that, you know, 
children of color haven't seen themselves in. And so I really wanted to like have a Chinese diaspora protagonist um, who is the one who is supposed to be the hero um, in the story. And she's the one who has to take on a quest and the gods have you know chosen her. And then in The Fallen Hero, um, she's fallen from that role. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it's called The Fallen Hero. Um, and I guess this is a spoiler for the, the Dragon Warrior, but like the role falls to like her brother, right? And um, now Farron is like questioning, like, who am I now that I'm not, you know, now, now that like I've seen like this role that the gods wanted to give me and said, I don't like what you're doing and I want to stay true to myself and do what I think is right. So that's what the Fallen Hero explores. And, um, you know, as much as the Dragon Warrior is a story about a girl who's like trying to find her place in the world and reclaim these parts of her identity and become proud of who she is and like live up to these gods. The Fallen Hero is a story about when authority figures, you know, are like not doing great things, basically, like <laughs> like when when um you know when a hero realizes that you know she she no longer agrees with the vision of these authority figures like like what does she do and how does she respond to that so um yeah the fallen hero is really about Baron like like discovering like the what she holds you know as very valuable to herself and learning that she can sort of find her own way and choose the path that's right for her and just stay true to her, to her heart I feel like that's such an like an Asian thing, you know, like how like with authority, we're taught at a very young age that we have to respect them and they know like the best for us. Keep oh, your head yes. down and just <laughs> listen. And, you know, when you get older, when you go through your own life experiences, it's like, no, I have to stay true to myself. I have to accept who I am in order to like become the hero that I um think that I deserve to be. So I, I really, really like um, the theme that you chose. Um, I'm not Chinese American, but but Marvin is. So I'm not really familiar with uh, Chinese folklore. Um, <laughs> but I do know that you have the Monkey King as uh, one of the figures in your story. But that's like a that's like a character that shows up a lot in pop culture, right? Yeah, I mean, so you have a lot of characters pulled from Chinese mythology and folklore, like Song Kong, Neza, um, Guang Husa, and a lot of like, for me, recognizable figures because I am Chinese. And the characters that you reference and pull from like the the pantheon is actually really varied and come from a lot of different legends. Um, how much research did you do? Uh, into Chinese folklore was this something you always had in your mind or something that you followed so I honestly I feel like um I like you know was like not realizing when I was younger but I was kind of researching for this book just because like <laughs> I was so fascinated by Journey to the West and like I mean when I was younger like you know there wasn't all this fancy technology there's no TikTok or Instagram back in my day <laughs> back in my day um and like Honestly, my parents were like very far behind in technology and like what they would give to my sister and me. So we didn't have much to do except like sit around rereading the same books and rewatching the same movies and shows. So we ended up rewatching Journey to the West like so many times. Um, but I loved it. Like I 
I still love that cartoon series. Um, when I was writing The Dragon Warrior, I rewatched it and I totally counted that as part of my research. Um, and when I was in college, I took a Chinese studies class where like we read parts of like the the, the actual text that all well, the trans one of the translated versions. So I got like a little more um a little bit more of like the the not watered down like like the adult version of it, I guess. Um but yeah, I also read like um Chinese mythology from A to Z, which was a guidebook that was translated into English. Um but like for me as a diaspora writer, like I always like worry that no amount of research I do is enough because you know, I Although I do like know I can read some Chinese characters, like my vocabulary is like it's shrunk so much since I stopped taking like Chinese school. Like basically after I passed AP Chinese, I was like, done with that. <laughs> Never gonna, you know, try to like read all these texts again. And um, so like for me, like if I try to sit down and like read texts that are in Chinese, like it would just like it would take forever and ever. So I did the best I could with like primary source materials from my college um with you know the 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 cartoon series and um just with like mythology that I would like research on the web um but honestly like my hope is that you know with the dragon warrior series like the mythology that I've presented here is like just one person's interpretation based off my own experience and the limitations that come with that and chinese mythology is just it's so vast in the pantheon of gods you know, all the deities and demons um, and legends and folklore, like they, the interpretations will differ between um, Confucianism, Taoism, Buddhism. And it's just way too much, you know, to like try to like cram it all into one middle grade fantasy novel. So my hope is that like, you know, readers who love this series will be interested in watch Journey to the West and then do some of their own research and hopefully publishers will see, you know, people are interested in Chinese mythology based stories and buy more from other writers who might know like more than me or have different interpretations. Yeah. I mean, I really love your characterizations of all the characters, like Naza being kind of like a haughty, haughty, like Bishonen boy um, <laughs> and like someone being a dick. Um, I thought it was a really like for someone who is at least marginally familiar with these myths, it was really fun to read and i think you did a really good job characterizing the vast number of deities not 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 even just the the gods but also the dragons and the spirits and the whole you know how chinese people have like we what's the word apotheosis like we we make our ancestors our gods right we, we pray yes. to them we, we worship them yes and that's also portrayed in, in your book too and we talked to a lot of authors who write fantasy about like their how they come up with their magical systems and i think the system that you came up with revolving around Chinese folklore was really well done. Thank you. Well, first of all, um, hearing Noja called, uh, what did you say? Be shown in hottie just made my whole year. <laughs> I've never heard that description before, but now, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm so glad that you liked, like my interpretation of the gods. Like I really just wanted to make all these figures like palatable to a younger audience, like sort of in the vein of Percy Jackson, like, um, I wanted to give them all like unique and quirky personalities like, you know, like, I mean, Sun Wukong was like really arrogant and super fun to write. But then you have like Guan Yin, who's like seen as like a motherly figure. So, um, yeah, I really just wanted to combine, um, you know, the Chinese mythology with 
the fun and fantastical, like quirky interpretations of gods that's seen in Percy Jackson. Yeah, I really like the fact that it is Chinese mythology, because I feel like growing up, it's always been Western mythology, always adaptations of Greek mythology. And it's just nice that there is another option. now. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of my favorite parts of the second book, um, The Fallen Hero, was when you portrayed um, Panda Express as the, the literal <laughs> gates to hell. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> not, not P.F. Chang's? Really? <laughs> I did enjoy all the, the subtle call-outs to you know, Asian American culture, you know, having Asian snacks. And it was cool to see something that invoked um, the culture that we, we grew up in. I'm so glad. Yeah, I really just, when I wrote this, I was like, well, what would childhood me have taken on a quest? And I was like, I would have taken Pocky or like, you know, like white rabbit candies or like Hawthorne flakes, just like the little snacks that I grew up eating. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you said like when you were researching, you, you were you're just like, I hope that you got it like accurate like that's what you said earlier um and i think that is like a common anxiety that a lot of own voices authors have um so like when your book when when dragon warrior released were you really nervous about what asian readers would think about it and and if they thought it would be accurate uh i mean yeah like when it in the lead up to release when it released and you know even now i feel like I I've lived with like the anxiety of you know trying to be accurate to the mythology for so long now that like it's just like part of my life but not to say that like it's like a bad thing but it's just um you know I I I feel like a lot of own voices writers do talk a lot about how um you know like we're we're trying to be accurate to whatever culture we're writing but the one thing that I've told myself that I think has helped alleviate some of that pressure is that um, this book isn't for Chinese audiences. It's for a Chinese. I mean, it's mostly for like Chinese or Asian American readers. And ultimately, the heart of the story isn't about the Chinese mythology or like the accuracy of the pantheon that I portrayed. It's really just um, the heart of the story is about a girl who grows up in a society where she's Chinese and American and she also has like other roots and she's trying to combine them all together and figure out who she is. Um, and I think that's something that most diaspora readers do connect with. I, I certainly felt like this weird sense of not belonging to either culture growing up. And um, so I think like I've done the best that I can and made this the story that's true to me. And obviously you know, people are now free to read The Dragon Warrior and, um, you know, some of them might find mistakes in the story. I'm sure there are mistakes. Um, they'll probably find mistakes and say, oh, hey, this isn't accurate, but maybe that'll inspire them to say, like, you know, I I don't necessarily agree with the mythology in the story, but if she can write a Chinese mythology story, then I should be able to write one too. And that will encourage them to write their own stories. And hopefully there will be a lot of different Chinese mythology or just Chinese stories out there um, with all kinds of interpretations from different diaspora writers. Yeah, I mean, there's more now, like FCE's uh, Epic Crush of Jeannie Lowe. You have um, uh, The Twelve uh, by uh, Cindy Lynn, right? Hold on, let me... 
Yeah, the, you also have the 12 by Cindy Lin. So yeah, there are more Chinese folklore mythology inspired books out there. So if readers complain that you got it wrong, <laughs> there there are others. There like I mean, it's not there are so it's not many just like interpretations of like you said Greek mythology and like Yeah, exactly. Um, like Viking mythology that like why can't why not us too? Why not us? I feel like we're just extra hard on ourselves because we're Asians. So that's like what we do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, honestly, I've just told myself like write with the confidence of a white writer and <laughs> just like keep writing like what you want to write, the stories that you wanted the most. And I think it's that's the most important thing is that um, for diaspora writers to remember that like, I mean, ultimately their writing is for them. So as long as like they're not being like super problematic or harmful and like being careful, which I'm sure they are, then like, you know, it's really out of their hands after that. And um, I think just being able to put out the stories of their heart is a reward in itself. So both the Dragon Warrior and Fallen Hero are middle grade adventure novels. But one thing I noticed while reading it is it, I don't remember reading adventure novels in middle school that got it gets kind of dark at some points. There's actually <laughs> characters that die. Um, Spoiler warning. So, was this, um, when you first wrote this for NaNoWriMo, was this going to be a middle grade or when did it become a middle grade novel? Um, yeah. So another great question. No, the <laughs> Dragon Warrior was not middle grade at first. It was young adult because before the Dragon Warrior, I had only ever written young adult. And I honestly, I didn't like, I knew I think I knew of middle grade, but it was sort of like off my radar because I was kind of far removed from like the middle grade age or readership at that point. And I was like, oh, I, I don't think I can write middle grade. You know, like I, I don't think I could like have the voice or like recall what it's like to be that young. Um, but then when I sent the Dragon Warrior to my critique partners, um, almost every single one of them told me you wrote a middle grade. And when I like sort of stepped back and examined it, I realized like the themes of the story and ultimately, you know, the arc of discovering your place in the world are more true to middle grade. And the quest narrative makes more sense for a middle grade novel, as well as like, like the honestly, like the the humor that I wanted to put in the story, like works better for middle grade. And I think um, young adult tends to take itself a little more seriously. So the wisecracks that Farron and other warriors make along the journey wouldn't fly so well in, in uh, young adult. Um, but I would say the Dragon Warrior does get kind of dark at times. Um, and I think, you know, that was one of the reasons why uh, when I queried agents or when my agent and I took the book out on submission, like we would get rejections from industry professionals who would say, um, you know, like there's a lot of good stuff here, but I don't think, you know, this this doesn't quite feel like middle grade to me. And honestly, I think that's why. Like they never said specifically, but um I honestly do feel like there like like uh there is a readership for middle grade novels that are darker and um it's it's been a while since like I was like, you know, that target readership, but I think I do remember like sometimes I would like pick up a middle grade novel and it would be like the themes would be a little bit heavier. And I think those kinds of stories are also important for kids um, because like a lot of kids do go through dark things that like, go through grief, um, you know, like loved ones who die early on or struggle with a lot of other problems that, um, you know, like 
even though they're a kid, like they because they're a kid, they shouldn't like have to deal with those problems, but they are. Um, and so I think like having novels that engage with those darker themes is important for them to realize that they're not alone. I think there's a lot of comfort in picking up a book and you know, reading a story where something happens and you see that your own like darker, unfortunate experience is reflected in that and realizing, oh, I'm not alone. This is how this character got past this obstacle. Maybe I can do something similar. I think there's a lot of value in that for middle grade readers. Yeah. I mean, as a full-fledged adult reading your book, I was riveted and also very sad at the sad parts. So I think you did a really good job. You said you're working on a your YA now. Can you tell us a little bit more about that project? Yes, I can. Um, so my young adult debut is a thriller with an Asian-American cast. Um, it's called How We Fall Apart. And it's pitched as One of Us is Lying meets Crazy Rich Asians. Um, and it's a story that's set against the backdrop of Manhattan's elite and um it's about these five Asian American students who are top students at an elite prep school. And then um, at the beginning of the book, it's revealed that one of them who was like sort of like the queen bee, very top student in the school, um, dies. And the other four characters who were like sort of part of her friend group, but, you know, also very competitive with each other, um, sort of start to become pinned as like the main suspects. and. It's really, you know, when I wrote this novel, I really just wanted to, like, have an open conversation about, you know, the very, I think, toxic competitive environments that we see in high schools in America today, and especially among Asian kids, children of immigrants, um, kids who feel like this immense amount of pressure to live up to their parents and society's expectations. Because I think like we do see this a lot with Asian kids, especially whose parents, you know, are like have like pretty rigid, strict expectations of them. And their expectations are get like full score in the SATs, go to Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, all these top schools. And, um, you know, what happens to the kids who don't live up to those standards? Because Asian-Americans are not a monolith and we're not all like super smart. A lot of us are creatives, for example, Um, and like you can't really like shove all these kids in a box and tell them, um, you know, you have to like be this certain way, because what if they can't? Then what happens? Um, And so How We Fall Apart is like uh, it, it really just took me into a deep dive of my own high school days and how much pressure I put on myself to like live up to my parents' expectations, but also just to like society standards because when I was in high school I feel like there was so limited representation for Asian Americans and what I saw was just like top students like the you know the Asian kid on screen was like the nerd the person who went to Stanford um got like perfect test scores and everything and I feel like a like that if if that's like the only message that you're giving to Asian kids then they're gonna look at themselves like if they fail a test, for example, and say like, what's wrong with me? Like, why, why can't I like fit this standard that it seems like every other Asian kid is able to do? Um, so yeah, I just wanted to talk about that. And as well, there's like a little bit of an exploration into mental health, because that's not something that really exists in Asian communities. Um, 
I know in my own family, like my parents, like kind of dismiss the idea of like mental illnesses, like, like, like to them, like stuff like that just doesn't exist. Like therapy isn't a thing that we should be doing. Um, And like, you know, if you're not able to like, for example, if you like aren't able to like meet a deadline or something, or like you fail a test, um, it just means you're not working hard enough. It's not that like maybe, you know, you're not in the right mental place to be able to like do all that and meet all their standards. So I feel like in Asian communities, it's like really important that we acknowledge that mental health issues are a thing and get the appropriate therapy for that because otherwise you just have like a lot of people who, you know, are forcing themselves into like these boxes to live up to society's expectations. And then on top of that, like, like therapy and also isn't a thing. So then what do you do when you're kind of like freaking out that you can't like meet these standards? This definitely sounds like my book. And oh my <laughs> I just got I just got flashbacks of high school as as an underachieving Asian oh. <laughs> and also as someone who, you know, had mental health, uh, like mental illness from a very young age. Yeah, like this definitely sounds like my book. Katie, thank you so much for speaking with us. Uh, where can our listeners uh, follow you? Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm on Twitter. And Instagram at K-T-Z-H-A-O author. Um, and I also just started a YouTube channel. It's called Katie's Corner. Um, and all of my like links and all my social media is just like, it's linked on my Twitter and Instagram bio. So you can find me there. And my website is katiezow.com. Yeah. Thank you so much, Katie, for joining us on Books and Boba. It was a blast talking to you. And yeah, good luck on your uh your, your, next book. your next book. Thank you so much. And that was our interview with Katie Zhao. Um, her books, The Dragon Warrior, Fallen Hero, are now available at booksellers everywhere, including our bookshop.org page. Oh yeah, we have a bookstore now online that you can support us. So uh, if you're looking for recommended reads, definitely check it out. Um, a portion of your purchases goes towards supporting this podcast. That's a labor of love between me and Rira. So we really, really appreciate it. And it also goes to uh, independent bookstores everywhere. So support your local bookstores as well. Yeah. Um, as a quick reminder, Rira, what are we reading for the month of October? We are reading Confessions by Kanae Minato. Um, I picked this book because it's October, spooktober. So we are reading a thriller horror novel. Yes, a fine way to ring in the spooky month and to take our minds off of whatever political reality our country finds ourselves in. You know, I find murder mystery to be very relaxing. <laughs> I watch a lot of crime documentaries because that is just the way I relax. So. Yeah. Well... Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Book Sam Boba. Thank you to Katie for a great conversation. And yeah, with that, we'll see you next time on Book Sam Boba. All right, stay safe, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. 
You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. We're still here, and we're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app.